Look at my butt. Show number 186 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Well, it's Christmas. It's Christmas all over the world. It is. It's it's even Shatmas, as our good friend Maynard said to us on, yes. on Twitter the other day. And he had a lovely tree with Bill right at the top of the tree where he should be the star <laughs> at the top, as I said. Well, this year I had so much going on. And, you know, having just moved into a new place, I put up no Christmas stuff <laughs> at all. But I've got great ideas for next year. Oh, good. That's good. Well, maybe next year, um, you know, we can make something special for big cardboard Kirk to wear. Oh, yes. He hasn't had a new outfit in a while. It's true. And a Christmas outfit is always special. So And uh, always appropriate. Yeah. So maybe we can put something nice together for him to wear. Yeah. That would yeah. be good. So, well, we have gifts. We both have gifts. We have gifts. Um, why don't you do yours first? Okay, I will. Okay. Now, remember, uh, these came from the Star Trek store. Yes, I'm so Mall. Okay, so. Okay. And as I said, they might both be crappy, both be good. Okay. Somewhere in between. Okay, I'm opening a box, and I'm seeing some um, space wrapping paper <laughs> at the top, some silver space wrapping paper. Yes, they gave me that. Okay. So let's see. Okay, it's light and it's square. They are light and square. So I'm ripping open the wrapping paper. I can hear it. I know. What is this? Oh, it is the sound of joyful anticipation. <laughs> What's this one though? Okay, wait a second. So okay. the first one is a little thing, and this is awesome. It's a reusable phone tablet screen wipe. This is great. This is actually really cool and useful. <coughs> Good, because I got me one, too. <laughs> I'm going to use it all the time to clean my phone, because my phone is, is really dirty and gross. And I oh, mine clean is, it too. Wow. A handy thing to carry in your purse. Yes. Okay, awesome. This is great. Thank you. That's a great thing, and it's got his face on it. I know. It's got Kirk on it, just in case people are wondering, why did she send you a screen wipe it's a kirk screen it's a kirk screen wipe and not only is it his face that's on it but the card that comes with it also has him on it too so it's, right. it's him twice yes thank so you we each that's have one gift. that's great now the other thing is mysterious ah because it's just a box that says star trek on it mm -hmm. it doesn't actually say what's in the box and you'll have to open so it. so i'm gonna have to open it okay here it goes Ooh, and it's packed in styrofoam I hope it's not broken into a million little space pieces. Oh, okay. Opening it now. It's, what is it? Oh, ooh, it's a little enterprise. But it, it added play value. Is this a Christmas ornament? No, it is a salt and pepper shaker set. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Oh, it comes in two pieces. Ah. <laughs> And it's got the little magnety thing to hold it together. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. This is great. I love it. Let me see how it goes together. Come on. How do you go together? It's not very um, intuitive. intuitive. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. How do you go together? Oh, there it goes. <laughs> I heard it. Yeah, it, it, I got it to click together. So this is this is really cool. So it's the Enterprise. And then it's it's a Galileo or some other type of shuttlecraft. And right. the magnet holds the two sides of them together. But the best part about it is that the the um, shuttlecraft is about the same size as the Enterprise. <laughs> That's what I like about it. <laughs> not exactly to scale. No, not at all. But it's perfect. It's really cool. I like this. I like this very much. Well, they had that right next to the, the Kirk salt and pepper shakers, yeah. as I told you that they had that. And so I went, oh, this will be great. I love it. Thank you so much. You're I think very it's awesome. welcome. And I might even put some salt and pepper in these guys and put them on the table. Oh, okay. Yeah. See how that works out. Uh, I will. Oh, wow. So cool. So I, I will say that these are both completely useful gifts. I love them. Okay. Yay. All right. Hooray. <laughs> I had such a fun time at that little kiosk, and especially because I was I found unexpected things like that. Yeah. 
I've, you know, I didn't want to go there, you know, all the way out there hoping I would get some good Christmas shopping done only to find that they had, you know, the same old stuff I always see. Yeah. They had some different things. This I was very cool. happy. I, I've never seen these before. You know, after I had gotten the salt and pepper shaker, the Kirk salt and pepper shaker set, I've, I've seen that all over the place, but I've never seen this. This is well. like different and special and cool and everything. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I'm just I'm having so fun clacking it back together. <laughs> well, I'm so glad it arrived safely and not, you know, clunked up or broken or yeah. anything. Well, they, any of those. They, they packed it quite well, packed in oh, styrofoam good. and everything. Okay. And, and so it's all good. Yay. Thank you. Okay. Open You're yours. Welcome. Open yours. Okay. Now, first I have to say, I think the post office used space glue because it took me two scissors to open the box this thing was in and I really had to hack at it. So it's um it's got some nice padding and it's even got a card. It does have a card. And I hope that that also arrived in a one piece as it should and not in It looks many it looks like one piece. It's it's um it's wrapped in space bubble wrap. <laughs> And actually, I'm thinking it's you who used the super glue because I can't get the card open. No, no. The the box is just your standard post office box. I put no extra space glue okay. on it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm working at it. Okay. Okay. It says JK on it, so we know it's for it's me. It's definitely for you. Absolutely. It's a cute little card with um, all kinds of festive uh, horses and things on top of it. Can I read it out loud? Uh, it, you can read some of it out loud. Oh, okay. I see. Happy space... Xmas. <laughs> Hope this falls into the non-crap category. Um, lots of love, always. LT. Okay. So, now I have to put my glasses back on. Okay. And I am unwrapping the space bubble wrap. And then I come to Christmas wrap. <laughs> This is the most wrapped thing I have ever, ever gotten. Well, you know, I wanted it to be an activity as well as a gift. (gasps) Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) So beautiful. I want every, and it's not broken. I want everyone to know this is a beautifully framed copy of the artwork from, uh, this side of, is it this side of paradise with yes. Miramani yes. that I thought looked like Disney Sleeping Beauty, but yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And it's so gorgeous. The colors are so, so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Um, I was hoping that the frame that I picked out sort of went with your stuff it's, in your apartment. It's, it's beautiful. And yeah, I, I'm going to, you know. You know, that screen thing I have where I have some of my Kirk art. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it up there. Oh, thank you. That is so beautiful. Yeah, I just loved oh. it. I thought it looked so cool, and I wanted you to have it. And it just, it was a, it was an effort to get it all together, but I think it turned out really well, so it was worth oh, it. Oh, I think so, too. It is just, just gorgeous. Oh, so it, thank you so much. I love, I love the colors. You know, I'm, I'm all about deep saturated colors yeah. and, and things like that. So, um, oh, so beautiful. Thank you so, so much. Oh, you are so welcome. And, and uh, as I was putting it together, I was thinking, you know, it makes a really nice contrast to the other thing that I had framed for you, which is that comic book panel. Of oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, and then there's that that beautiful, you know, almost Warhol thing of multiple Kirks. Yeah, where the guy, you know, went to a lot of effort to get the uh, the backing to match the mm-hmm. gold shirt. You yep. know, oh, I'm going to have my own private little Kirk art gallery in really? that corner. Really, really, oh, so fabulous, so fabulous. <laughs> Well, I couldn't be happier. Merry, Merry Christmas. Yes. Happy Christmas. Yay. Gifts are good. Well, speaking of Christmas. Yes. I got, I got a great Christmas present. Oh, and, okay. And that is going to be um, the first segment that we're going to do here. It's a book All righty. Okay. So I received the book that we had chatted about on the show called These Are the Voyages. Oh, oh, wonderful. Yep. So it's the in-depth story of season one of TOS with background on all the stories, how they were written, how they were filmed, behind the scenes stuff. And it's amazing. It's um, many, many pages. It's about 600 pages long. And it is 
set with a very uh, small type and I've kind of gone through it once really quickly but I'm going to have to go back and read it really really carefully but it is a treasure trove of information <gasps> oh I'm so glad um, the best part about it is that the guy who wrote it Mark Cushman is a Shatner fanboy <laughs> so there is loads and loads of stuff about Bill and he seems to have gone out of his way to get people to comment on what a great guy Bill was because oh I love this I love this you know it's it's like every episode he's talking to the guest stars and it's mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling that he was asking them what it was like to work with Bill and almost mm-hmm. to a person they were like he was great he was so professional he was so nice you know that Nimoy guy he was a little standoffish and you couldn't make him smile but uh-huh. Bill was there every day being professional and hitting his marks and joking and making everybody feel comfortable it's like nobody has a bad word to say about him. Nobody. How cool. So it's it's really good. And, and I just love the fact that he sort of is trying to get people to um, people to speak to their experience to say, yeah, he wasn't a giant egotistical asshole on the set. Mm-hmm. Really, he wasn't. That may be the way some people perceived him. But for all the folks who were guest stars who came through, he was just the consummate professional. Oh, that is such, such good news. It is. So I wanted to read a sort of a lengthy thing here, um, but I think this is a great, great example of Bill and his professionalism, and it just comes okay. from such an unexpected source, and it's not a story I've ever heard before. Oh, great. Yeah, so I was like, ooh, new, new Bill story. So I'm hoping that you don't know this one either. Okay. So this is about the episode Court Martial. Oh, and, one of my faves. Yep. And so um, it was a story told by one of the red shirts who was in the bar at the beginning when um, he hooks up with a real. And right, a right. Guy, and they're being so, so nasty. Right, exactly. Him. So this is the lead guy that he almost gets into a fight with. Okay. So, so um, his name is Wynn DeLugo. And he was an actor who had been on Broadway. And he came out to Hollywood to try to do some acting. And he mm-hmm. said, you know, it was great. And... Um, he just said, I thought it was awesome. I loved being on Star Trek and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so the, he tells a funny story. He says, um, Shatner comes in on the first day and we do a rehearsal. And I was surprised how small he is compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then he uh, says, and then uh, Shatner says, Timothy, and that's the character's name, and starts to say something about the old gang at the Academy. And then he looks up at me and he calls, cut. Shatner calls cut. Wow. And he just reaches out and grabs the director, Mark Daniels, and pulls him over and whispers to him. And then Mark says, okay, we're going to take a break. Relax. Go to your trailers. We have to make some changes here. When they called me back, I see they've changed the set around a little. And all of a sudden, there's a number of bar stools. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, okay, I get it. I'm too tall. So that was funny. I love it that Bill immediately made bar stools appear because one of the guest stars was too tall. It's one of his superpowers. It is. It is. It's great. Okay. So then here's the really good story. Um, He says, and so we start with Shatner's stuff first. We're shooting over my shoulder at him, and he's now standing, and I'm sitting. And the scene starts, and as things are going along, his eyes start filling up with water. And he calls, cut. And he calls, makeup. And he goes off behind somewhere. And then he comes back, and we do part of the scene again. And again, his eyes fill up with water, and cut. And he goes behind the set again, and I imagine the girl is back there dabbing his eyes. The third time, I thought, well, things are always in three, so this has got to be the last time. But it Mm -hmm. wasn't. It happened four times. And this was the kind of scene where we had to hold each other's gaze, because my character is just inches away from throwing a punch at this guy. Mm -hmm. And then he asked for a minute, and he disappeared somewhere. During So back to the, the uh, writer, he says, Now, near the time this episode was filming, Shatner told a magazine writer, I hope that since my wife Gloria and I are reasonably intelligent people, things can be worked out, but we are having difficulties. Even under ideal circumstances, a couple nearly always has some marital problems. When you add to ordinary circumstances the stress and strain of doing a show that occupies almost all your time, you have extraordinary problems. So Bill was tearing up. 
Wow. So back to the actor, he says, he was gone only a brief amount of time. How he recomposed himself or what he did so fast was beyond me, but it went absolutely beautifully after that. He was so cool and composed. He was like a different guy, except that when he finished his camera shot, he walks away. And he's walking across the soundstage quite rapidly, and I said to Mark, where the fuck is he going? And with that, Shatner opened the iron door, and bam, he was out and gone. And the director said, don't worry about him, I'll work with you. Um, so they finished the scene, and Bill um, just went off and got himself together. And he, he said, uh, some of the other actors said he was very professional. He just didn't seem to get involved with us too much. He sort of did his work and then disappeared back into his dressing room. Mm -hmm. He wasn't interested in any other sort of social stuff really at the time i felt well no wonder he has a shitload of stuff to learn he has to stay focused but in my opinion he was slightly focused and separate from the rest of his cast who were more inclined to sort of stick around a bit and chit chat he didn't as soon as his scene was over he'd go thank you and he'd head right to his dressing room so that was one time when bill was actually emotionally affected on screen by what was going on in his marriage wow I have never, ever heard that story. No, me neither. I mean, there's all the stuff in here for the Devil in the Dark episode about, you know, with his dad dying and right, all that. Right, right. But, but I never heard about him getting so upset that he had to actually break and, mm -hmm. you know, go off stage and kind of compose himself a little bit. Wow. So, kind of amazing. Yeah. But, oh, man. Poor Bill. Poor Bill. But then also that he, you know did whatever he needed to do and he came back and he was able to finish the scene because Bill is a professional. Well, I am looking forward to hearing many, many more wonderful stories from that book. Yes, um, it's just filled with things. And one other little tidbit I learned. You know, we had discussed several times um, whether they had dressing rooms or whether they had trailers. Right. And remember we were talking about how weird it would be to have trailers when it was, you know, a, like a soundstage and everything? Mm -hmm. They had trailers. Somebody in here says that they thought it was weird too. But they had a bunch of trailers that were lined up outside. So when the actors were done, they would go to dressing rooms, but they were dressing rooms in these little trailers that they had outside. That's what I always thought it sort of was. Yeah. Um, but the the actor who said it, and I can't remember who, who it was, said that that was kind of unusual at the time because normally they didn't have actual trailers. They would just have rooms that you would mm -hmm. go into where all your stuff was. So Bill had his own trailer, one assumes, with, mm -hmm. you know, a big lock on the door, I guess. And his record player, and I don't know what else he kept in there. <laughs> Somewhere to stash his women. <laughs> oh, Bill. So it's it's a great book, and lots and lots of stories, but I was just so happy to get this stuff about Bill, about how great he was and how everybody loved him. Yes. Wow. Well, that is very exciting, and I hope you will, in future weeks, be bringing us more interesting, wonderful tidbits. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go through it much more carefully from the beginning and start bookmarking pages where there will be things that we need to talk about or um, just stuff that maybe we thought one thing, and now here we're actually getting the, the real scoop on it. Yes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's a great gift. I was so happy. I opened it up, and I was like, yee. Yay! <laughs> okay, well, um, I have sort of a, a longish thing to read us. Oh, good. Which is that John Tenuto has published his part three um, on the development of the space seed, the evolution oh, of space seed. Yay. <clears throat> and um, initially I sent you the wrong link, and then I did send you a correction. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, um, okay, when we left off... <laughs> Producer Gene Kuhn had issued Space Seed writer creator creator Carrie, sorry, Carrie Wilbur a challenge. In other words, Carrie, build us a giant of a man. When referring to the episode's villain Harold Erickson, an experienced and creative television writer of shows like The Virginian and Rawhide, Wilbur utilizes all the notes of Kuhn, Gene Roddenberry, and Robert Justman to move the story a step closer to its final version with his October 26, 1966 script. 
However, despite Wilbur's talent, the script still is not exactly what the creators had hoped. Of most concern is that the character of Erickson has been rewritten into a former criminal whose followers call him the king. His criminal empire had long ago controlled a large portion of the earth. Much of the story revolves around Erickson killing the only witness to his true identity, a Botany Bay crew member named Henderson. Additionally, one of the features of Wilbur's original outline for Space Seed that everyone liked, and which survives into the final version, is that Captain Kirk essentially forgives the villain and offers him and his people the chance of a new life with a world to settle and tame. Unfortunately, if Erickson actually kills someone, as he does in Wilbur's script, then NBC would never allow that kind of ending. Mm -hmm. Television values of that time dictated that bad guy always gets punished for his or her actions. It is now six weeks before filming, and there is no workable script. The episode will require a good deal of new special effects and costumes. Eventually, Montalban's con character will have more costume changes than almost any other TOS male guest star, which need to be prepared. Two events in pre-production change the direction of Space Seed, and arguably, because Space Seed inspires Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which saves the franchise, da, 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 <laughs> the future of Star Trek itself. The events are the casting of the villain and a last-minute rewrite. First, there's the brilliant idea by casting director Joseph D'Agosta to suggest Ricardo Montalban for the role of Erickson. We asked Mr. D'Agosta, whose credits include casting Star Trek and The Brady Bunch, <laughs> what made him think of Montalban for the role of Viking-like Erickson. He mentioned that because of Gene Roddenberry's vision and leadership, casting on Star Trek was always done based on who the best actor was for a role, which is why there is such a diversity of races and ethnicities among not only the main cast, but among guest-starring roles also. The show itself was trying to adhere to the 23rd century values of Star Trek in the 1960s real world. Montalban as a person had everything that the character was meant to display. Strength, intelligence, charisma, and leadership. He was a professional and reliable actor with years of experience, having started acting during the 1930s. He was, in short, the kind of actor who could be, to borrow a Wrath of Khan line, more than a match for poor Enterprise. <laughs> Interestingly, Ricardo Montalban and the talented Madeline Rue, whose performance as Marla MacGyvers helped, the, helped to sell the difficult role, had previously played husband and wife in Day of Reckoning, a 1960 episode of Bonanza. Wow. In the in the episode, Rue's character, Hatoya, is killed, and Montalban's character, Matsu, seeks revenge against the hero of the story, whom he blames for the death of his wife. <laughs> Ironic, right? Wow. <clears throat> Montalban's casting is approved enthusiastically by Gene Roddenberry. Montalban had starred in Roddenberry's first science fiction story film for television, 1956's The Secret Defense of 117, for Chevron Hall of Stars. His casting, however, necessitated changes to the character of Erickson in terms of his backstory. This casting occurs either at the end of November or early December, just weeks before filming is to begin, and further complicates the script because of these additional needed revisions. It is Gene Kuhn who is now working on his own draft of the script. His December 7, 1966 version includes many of the familiar beats of the space seed we all know. In this version, John Erickson is revealed to be Ragnar Thorwald, who hundreds of years <laughs> before was leader of the first world tyranny and genetically engineered. Could you imagine Kirk yelling, Ragnar! No, I, I am so glad they didn't go with that name. That's just not good. That's not a good television name. Way too hard to say. Way <laughs> okay. too hard to say. Especially, you, you know, how uh, there are certain names that they all say differently. Yes, exactly. And that would have been one of them. That yeah, would have been one of them, Absolutely. There are still concerns, however, mostly about the relationship between Thorvald and MacGyvers, which just doesn't ring true and yet is so important to selling the premise of the story. If the audience doesn't believe that Marla would both help and then betray Thorvald, the episode would have failed, which is, again, a reason that the actors Montalban and Rue deserve a great deal of credit. Who can rescue this script and episode now just eight days from filming? 
Next installment, Gene Roddenberry saves the day, and Khan Noonien Singh finally arrives, although first he will be Sibahi, or Sibal? Sibal Khan Noonien. But more on that next time. So, it's wow. shaping up. That's very interesting. Well, you know, when we're done going through this series, um, I will read the part in um, the These Are the Voyages book to see what, oh. what it has to say because I'm sure it will um, corroborate and then probably add to the information in what they have to say here. Yes, yes. So, I thought that, that you know, I'm just loving this series. Yeah, it's great. I, I just love finding this stuff and out. when Bill comes to the Chicago Con... We have got to make a point of meeting the Tenudos. Yes. Because they live in Illinois. I live in Illinois. You know, John and I have sort of communicated a little across the Shatner Facebook. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it would just be great. And sit down and interview them and, and hopefully, you know, have a room party. Yeah. And do all that great stuff. You should be best friends with them. That's what I think. Oh, well, I can. I'm best friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> I could be local best friends. Local with them. best friends, yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. That'd be very good. Um, you know, it is so funny. I, I was just looking through the um, table of contents for the These Other Voyages books, and I was thinking about Space Seed. And even just flipping through um, this book and thinking about Space Seed. That first season of Star Trek had so many amazing episodes in it. Oh, I kind of yeah. forget what there was in the first season. It was incredible the quality of the episodes that they had well and you forget about that when you know like you sort of take it for granted over time but then when you mm -hmm. start really looking at all of them amazing well and i also think especially during the first episode and first season and second season um from hearing these stories and i'm sure you're going to run into this in these are the voyages all the time there was on the the the, the uh, creative side, the the writers, the producers, the production mm-hmm. people. It really comes through what an incredible passion they had mm-hmm. for these stories and these characters. And I kind of think when they got moved to a crap time slot, and their budget was slashed, I think it broke a lot of people's hearts. I, um, I think you're among the right. the team. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You, you can just tell going through, you know, how, how many times they revised the scripts and how passionately people felt about um, what was in and what was out and mm-hmm. things like the casting and what they were doing with special effects and that they fought so hard to have certain things included or fought against the censors that mm-hmm. they really, really believed in this show. That yes. they thought this was going to be, and it was, I mean, groundbreaking yeah. in so many ways. But I don't know. I mean, here, let me just read a few of the titles of the episodes in case people have forgotten what was actually in the first season. Yes, please do. So it starts with Where No Man Has Gone Before. Classic. Totally classic. Um, One of my top two episodes. Go ahead. Corbomite Maneuver, Mud's Women, Enemy Within, Man Trap, Naked Time, Charlie X, Balance of Terror, What Are Little Girls Made Of, Dagger of the Mind, Miri, Conscience of the King, Galileo of Seven. We'll skip that one. Um, (laughs) They had a a bad week. (laughs) Really? One bad week. Court Martial. Shore Leave, Squire of Gothos, Arena, um, Alternative Factor, not so great, but no. uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday, Return of the Archons, which is a classic just because of the costumes. And, right? and just because of My Little Pony, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> added added um, relevance because added of My relevance, Little Pony. Added relevance, that's right. Um, Space Seed, Taste of Armageddon, This Side of Paradise, Devil in the Dark, Errand of Mercy, City on the Edge of Forever, and Operation Annihilate. Oh my God! What an incredible first season! That's like two two episodes out of all of those were not great. I mean, they weren't bad, right? Well, and think about the character of Kirk as a, a real person, the emotional ringer <laughs> to go through, <laughs> especially towards the end, as you know, Edith dies and his brother dies, and <laughs> you know, oh my God, and Spock dies or gets blowed up or something. You know, I mean, amazing. It, it is truly amazing. So I, I just, all over again, I got to thinking, this is crazy. Just crazy how much there was in that mm-hmm. first season. <sighs> I love Star Trek. I really do. I really do, too. <laughs> in case people didn't know it, I just no, wanted to say it again. We just wanted to remind everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen, so this is like half an hour. We've been talking. Let's take our break. 
Okay. And then we'll come back, and I know we've got some more newsy things to go over. Yes, um, we do. That you pointed out. And um, Bill has been having a very happy Christmas. He's been tweeting like crazy. I think he must be getting bored or something. Yes, yes, I've, <laughs> I've noticed that. Okay, let's take a break. I'm going to okay. get myself some more water, and okay. then we'll come back. And then we'll come back. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Talk to us, listeners. We love hearing from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. And don't forget our Facebook page. This podcast produced on a MacBook Pro with GarageBand. Okay, we are back with a topic we have not hit on in a long time. Yeah. And that is the world of Slash. Yay, Slash. Um, and this was on a website called Books Blog. And, uh, it's part of the, the Guardian, which is a, yes. a British newspaper. <clears throat> okay. Um, the headline is, or the lead line, for Slash Fiction Devotees, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. After Caitlin Moran offends the fan fiction community by encouraging Sherlock actors to read out saucy extracts, David Barnett makes the cause for amateur adaptations of iconic works. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but um, to sum up, apparently a journalist and author named Caitlin Moran mm-hmm. um, encouraged the actors Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman to read out a slice of Sherlock Watson's slash fiction on stage at the British Film Institute. Um, it was uh, uh, a fan fiction story called T and written by a user called Mildred M. Bobbin. <clears throat> now, here's, here's one of the parts I just really want to read. Her, this explanation of fan fiction could, includes a story I'd never heard before, and it totally cracks me up. Uh, slash takes its name from the punctuation between characters' names to denote sexual content and probably dates back to the 1970s when it came to prominence with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock in the original Star Trek series. There's a possibly apocryphal tale, which I like to believe is true, <laughs> purporting that William Shatner asked Spock actor Leonard Nimoy what this Kirk-slash-Spock stuff was all about. Nimoy apparently replied, It's you and me, Bill. Fucking. <laughs> that is hilarious. Isn't it? That is the funniest thing. I don't think it's true. First of all, let me just say. I don't I, care. I, I don't love think it it's true much. at all, but it is so funny. So funny. And if it were true, it is certainly fun to speculate what Bill's reaction would have been. <sighs> oh, it would have been, yeah, that's great. It's a great story. But um, anyway, I do want to go on a little bit about this because it, it – it uh, gets into some fan fiction things in general. <clears throat> Since then, with a little help from the internet, fan fiction and slash fiction have become massive, with huge online communities sharing their work. Hence, the angry response to Moran using a piece of Sherlock, Wa- Sherlock Watson slash to, in the perception of the community, poke fun at the genre. There does, and then they give you a little clip of the story. There does, it has to be said, seem to be something inherently funny about writing erotic fiction based on established fictional characters. Yeah, I, you know, Romeo and Juliet is just so hysterical. <laughs> like people who knit Daleks, Daleks <laughs> or create huge model railway layouts, fan fiction writers are seen as gently mockable, slash writers even more so. However, on Tuesday, Mildred and Bobbin reposted on their Tumblr website an open letter to Caitlin Moran from another fanfic site saying, In a rather spectacular manner, you managed to antagonize an entire fandom made up almost entirely of young, liberal-minded women like me, a.k.a. your core readership. How did you accomplish this? On paper, it doesn't sound like much. You picked an erotic Sherlock fanfic off the internet and made the stars of the show read an extract aloud for shits and giggles. But while it was mostly certainly shit, it wasn't giggles for anyone, and least of all for us. When people come out from behind, and then that's the end of the quote, Mm -hmm. when people come out from behind their hobbies, the mockery seems more churlish. 
At its worst, fanfic is harmless. At its best, it can lead to much bigger things. John Ordover, are you listening? <laughs> Let's not forget that Fifty Shades of Grey originally began life as fan fiction using characters from Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series. Now it's author E.L. James, who is laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, Game of Thrones author George R.R. R. Martin is famously against the genre. Uh, more authors are more than happy to let them do that. <clears throat> um, uh, Meg Cabot, who wrote The Princess Diaries, said, I myself used to write Star Wars fan fiction when I was a tween. And Cassandra Clare, author of the recently filmed Mortal Instruments series, started off writing Harry Potter fan fiction and Lord of the Rings parodies. As we well know. <laughs> Still not king. <laughs> I can't even look at I mean, what's his name without thinking still the prettiest. Still the prettiest, yeah. That's what I thought all the way through the Hobbit movie. Oh, look, there he is. Still the prettiest. Still the prettiest. Um, anyway, um, I found that interesting, and it does drive home a point that I think is important, and I'm going to repeat it. At its worst, fanfic is harmless. Mm-hmm. And, at, and the thing is, even at its worst... It's a good thing, because as we used to try to point out, people like um, the evil Jay Winter and me and several other people on ASC, when John Ordover, uh, publisher of Pocket Books, the Star Trek stuff there, used to um, rail against fan fiction and, and how it was so bad for the franchise. And, you know, we'd point out, if I wasn't writing fanfic, do you honestly think I would be surrounded by all these books about Star Trek <laughs> and all these th- these gadgets and going mm-hmm. to the conventions and paying for autographs from the actors? And, you know, this is my outlet for liking Star Trek. And fan fiction, you know, for me and for many other people, spread out into all these other things. And one of the ways of expressing that is to not just buy these things, but to write. Yeah. I mean, you and I make fun of fanfic all the time. You and I have written it, and we've written some good stuff, and I think we can both admit that we've written some not-so-good stuff. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I mean, okay, so... But uh, I don't I, feel bad about it. No, I I mean, have, I can, like, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll think of something I wrote in, like, one of my early stories. I'm like, oh, my God, I was such an amateur. Oh, my God, that makes me puke. But, you know, I'm still, I'm still not... Sorry, I did it. I had a great time. Yeah, exactly. So here, here's what I think about this. Um, since you asked, well, you didn't ask. Yes. But I'll tell you anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So first of all, I know who Caitlin Moran is, and she, I like her a lot. I think she's mm-hmm. a, a thoughtful person and a good writer, and this seemed like a fairly funny thing to do. Um, I think the people who are getting really angry about this are being a little thin-skinned. Or maybe a lot thin-skinned, you know? Mm-hmm. It seems like if you're going to write something and put it out there on the internet, you've published it. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to be prepared for whatever's going to happen to it, you know? It's not as if someone came and stole it off your hard drive. Mm-hmm. You put it on archive of our own or wherever it happened to be published. Anybody can read it. Anybody can pick it up and do a public reading of it. Maybe they should have contacted the author first to make sure it was okay. But if it was just a snippet, then it's fair use. Yeah. It, it's it's that line between, you know, I'm writing this for my own fun. Okay, that's great. But mm. if you are actually going to, and I put publish, not really in quotes, but you are publishing it by putting it out there on the internet, you're now an author. And as an author, you have to be prepared for what can possibly happen. And hopefully it's not going to be people sending you hate mail or anything like that. But if that's what happens to a piece of your writing, then it gets cited in an article or somebody decides to do a little snippet of it as part of some other thing. That's what you get for being an author. Yeah, but I kind of think, I don't think they're that upset that she used a snippet without asking them. I think it was... An attempt to deliberately humiliate and and make fun of slash fiction, this particular piece in particular. But I think it was also an attempt to humiliate the actors. Do you think so? Well, you know, this question has come up at cons in room parties I've been in with slashers. And um, the, the, the question is, would you... If you got to ask a question of um, Shatner or Nimoy, ask them about Slash. Would you push the issue? And most of the people that I spoke to 
who are people whose opinions, I mean, most of the people whose opinions I respect, took the point of view that um, that's really not the thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the actors are there. Yes, we've all, all um, paid and everything, but they are there taking questions, and they are there indulging their fans. And to do something like that, first of all, it's going to alienate a huge chunk of the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, maybe get a, a response that you don't want to hear or mm-hmm. other people don't want to hear. It's just kind of out of bounds. You know, it's like the the people who... You know, see an actor having dinner and then just rush mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. and sit down and try to eat with him or, or kiss him or maul him or whatever, much as we'd all like to do that. And so I think on both, the actors seem, from what I'm reading on in comments, the actors seem not to, to be upset about it and take it in their stride, which is wise on their part, regardless of how they actually feel. But, you know, what, I mean, what were the circumstances? What was the point of this? Was those two actors being on stage not interesting enough that you had to pull this out? Well, so that's what I'm trying to find out. So th- this now I'm, I'm thinking we are getting a, a third-hand report here yes. in this. And I would like to know what the intention was because from what I know about this, this journalist, Caitlin Moran, she's not the kind of person who wants to make the actors feel uncomfortable. I mean, she's not a hack journalist. And mm-hmm. it's not really her style to pull a stunt like this to make people feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I, from what I've seen, especially about actors who have been in um, very popular series and, and these guys and then the actors who have been in like the Avengers movies, their agents and the people who surround them are very careful to let them know what fandom is doing at any given moment. So they know, Mm -hmm. they know that Mm -hmm. there's fanfic and they know that there's slash fanfic. So they're not like blindsided by these kinds of things. I think the, um, the world that they live in is much more expansive than it would have been back in the seventies or eighties when people like, you know, Bill and Leonard and the rest of them probably had absolutely no idea that people were writing fanfic. Why would they? Mm-hmm. Cause it wasn't, but it was anywhere. a very, and especially slash was a very private world. Yeah. So you couldn't buy the zines at a con. They were under the table. Yeah. And you had to be introduced into that world by somebody who was already in it. Exactly. So it's it like a secret society. Yep. And now it's just so much different because it's totally out there. So I think in general, the actors know about this and they have their own opinions, whatever they might be. And I can't imagine that this was sprung on the two of them. No, I'm, I'm not thinking it, it was, but, um, yeah. So, I, I, so now we have to do more research. I've just been Googling a little bit while we've been chatting and I can't mm-hmm. find like original coverage of this, but maybe listeners, if you know more about this, um, I, I would like to dive in further and see what the actual context was and how it was presented. And if it was just the kind of thing where they thought it would be somewhat amusing or to see what the actors thought or just to say, look at some of the um, amazing stuff that's out there on the internet. If it wasn't explicit that it was meant to mock them, if it wasn't explicit, Mm -hmm. maybe the people are reading too much into it. I don't know because I do know that there are a lot of overly sensitive fanfic writers. Oh yes. (laughs) And I, I could easily see that they took it as a personal insult when it was not meant as a personal insult. I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of crazy people in different kinds of fandoms. There really are. Yeah. People who just don't know where the boundaries are and, mm-hmm. and who can't stand any kind of criticism of their writing from other fanfic writers. I mean, we know people like that, you know? It's like they, they think that their writing is the best thing ever, and if you were ever to suggest that it wasn't the best thing ever or that there was something slightly silly, they would feel like, you know, you were you had just killed their dog. Right, right. Well, yeah, you know, there there is... There is just so much to this. Um, I mean, I had a snippet of mine included in an article years ago about Slash. And it certainly isn't one I'm, like, proud of. Like, what a great idea I had when I wrote that. You know, it's one of my really early things. And also it was written as um, a takeoff, Mm -hmm. which apparently I was not real successful at because a lot of people thought it was a beautiful love story. So... (laughs) (laughs) I was learning. Um, I wasn't particularly upset by it. In fact, I wasn't upset by it at all. But, you know, I know I did get 
rabidly upset about other things during my time when I spent way too much time in the fan fiction world. But um, to sort of segue into another topic, I have a reading list um, that I'm working my way through, books I think I'm going to enjoy. And one that has got some very good reviews is called Fangirl. Mm-hmm. And it's written by about the, the fanfic world. It's a fictional novel um, by someone who, from from the little I know of it, has uh, you know was part of the, the fan fiction world. I don't know what her fandom was. She's made something up for the book and everything. But I'm really interested to read it. I mean, it might just be a dopey novel set in the fanfic world, but I've always thought there is such incredible fodder there for good <laughs> fiction or for mm-hmm. a play. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, fandom, as I was just saying a moment ago, is full of crazy people, but it's also full of the most amazing personalities that you will ever come across. Oh, yes. You'd hardly have to invent characters. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't have to at all. <laughs> you just have to disguise them well enough so you don't get sued. Exactly. <laughs> or just, you know, you could probably go to those people and say, I'd like to put you in a book. If I changed your name and some other things, would you be okay with that? And they'd be like, sure, put me in a book. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, but some of the ones I know would, would want final approval and would rewrite. Oh, that's and, true. That That's that true. true. Yeah. They'd want to yeah. write all their own dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... I don't know. Interesting discussion. I just mainly brought it up because I love that story. It's you and me, Bill. Fucking. <laughs> I want that to be true. I don't think it is, but I want it to be I true. want it to be true, too. We should ask Bill about that. Oh, okay. When we um, when we get our $5,000 to... Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So well, the new the show that mentions that, us needing $5,000, um, just went up a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. So, so far, nobody has sent us any great ideas, <laughs> but I assume everyone has been busy with their holiday celebrations and playing with their new Trek toys, mm-hmm. which they are all going to send us descriptions and reviews of. I, I hope so. I hope that lots of people got Trek toys or Trek books or like a lot of the other crap that's out because there's an awful lot of Trek stuff to be had for this Christmas, that's for sure. Yes. Yes, there is. And I put a few up on our uh, our Facebook. And um, one of them I included in the bunch of pictures I sent you. But um, it's it's little uh, decals, you know, like people mm-hmm. put on their the back of their cars. It's mom and dad and four kids and a dog and a cat and a snake or whatever. But these are all in Star Trek uniform. And I, I love this. I, and I love the fact that the dad and the little boy have Spock ears. Yes. Well, I also love the fact that there's a Gorn, there's um, a, a Klingon and a Mugatu, and that the only animal there is a Tribble. So apparently the Tribble <laughs> represents all pets everywhere. They didn't include that poor dog with the false eyelashes and the horn and everything. Oh. But I was thinking, man, if I still had a car, I would have this. And then I was thinking... What's to stop me from putting it, like, on one of my windows or my bathroom mirror? You could put it anywhere you want to, damn it. Then, damn it, I'm the captain of this place. That's right. <laughs> you can do whatever you I, want. I could get, you know, the lady, but not in a red uniform, mm-hmm. and a tribble, and I could put them wherever I want. You know, I'm looking at the the picture that you sent, and um, I, ha- I have to say, it looks a little like Spock and Aurora. Doesn't it? Yeah. I wonder if that was intentional. Ooh. Well, who knows? Mm, interesting. Um, so as long as we're talking about the pictures, will you talk me through some of these other lovely photos that you sent? Because that yes. one is amazing. <laughs> okay. Well, um, the first one in the packet anyway was Bill Skies. Yes, I see him. He's so and cute. This is young Bill, probably in Montreal. So happy. What does he look like? About eight? Eight. I was going to say eight. Yep. Yeah. And he's carrying skis and the poles and everything. So because, you know, you had said you couldn't imagine him skiing, but here he is at a young age, obviously very happy <sighs> to be doing this. And such a cute little boy. He is. He's got such a happy grin on his face. And he's got such a goofy hat, you know, yep. because... Little boys, I don't know what their mothers are thinking. <clears throat> Most of these I'd never seen. I'd seen this skiing picture. But this family photo, um, I find completely intriguing. There's Bill in the middle, probably mm-hmm. 10, yep. I'm thinking. Yep. 
and you know with his hair all com- all comb slick you know uh-huh. like they and in a bad double breast or a cute little little boy double breasted suit and his ears are sticking out <laughs> <laughs> still growing into those but next to him is i am believing one of his sisters mm-hmm. um i don't know who any of the other people are um i'm kind of thinking this might be like a wedding picture it for his like older it. sister? Yeah, it could be. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing that the the woman sitting to his right maybe is his grandmother. Maybe. She looks, she looks too old to be his mom. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And there there are people cut off, you know, but but um, so that's interesting. I've never seen that picture. No, me neither. And he's yeah, got it, a nice grin. He's got yes. his grin. And then there's one I called Young Acting Bill. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> and uh, I think he's in college. He's holding a, a script and selling it. <laughs> he is. He is turning it on. And he's got a, 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 a sweater on and a, a plaid scarf, you uh-huh. know, sort of tossed back over his shoulder. And I don't know if that's part of the role or if it was just, you know what bill was wearing that day but he's he's gesturing and you know his eyes are very alive his smile is wonderful he almost looks like he's singing he does oh yes he's just bursting out into song maybe it was a christmas thing who knows maybe so and then this last one. Oh my god this picture's oh. great <laughs> sorry i called it teenage hunka hunka burn in love uh-huh it's bill um I don't know what I think. Eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, um, probably at that summer camp that he worked at, mm-hmm. and he's in the water. He's coming out of the water, so the water's up to like about his hips, and, and there's his chest and his muscles, and he's so trim. And, oh. and again, that great smile. Oh, he looks just so wonderful and also adorable, but also really hot, really, really hot, and really alive. You know, it, it's not a posed picture. I mean, it, you know, it's not a studio shot or anything like that. This is, you know, Bill in the summer in a freezing cold Canadian lake <laughs> and loving it. He is. He's out there in the nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty hot picture. It's a great picture. Oh. Um, now I need to find something else that was in this book that I wanted to um, mention. Let's see if I something can. Something about Bill in a swimsuit? Uh, no, it was about Bill in his chest, actually. There was some interesting insight into the whole chest shaving thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I thought would be um, just interesting. So let me um, hold, please, while I look for it. It'll just <laughs> okay. take a second. Oh, let's see. Oh, no, now we're all the way onto a different one. Oh, goodness. Yeah, Bill, um, chest shaving was mentioned several times in here. And apparently um, Bill agreed to have his chest shaved because um, Gene Roddenberry didn't think that men in the future would have hairy chests. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't really get wow. that. Now, I've never heard that one before. Yeah. I've heard that Bill and Roddenberry both had this thing about, well, a hero would have a smooth chest. Well, apparently it was really a Roddenberry thing and not a Bill thing. Oh. So Bill reluctantly agreed to have his chest shaved. So that was very strange. But here, here's a good thing from Charlie X. Okay, you'll you'll appreciate this. Um, okay. So this is about the wrestling scene, the famous yes. wrestling scene. Okay. So um, Mary Black, who was one of the... Um, people who worked on the show she was the wife of john df black who was the story editor in the first season says um bill was very at ease with himself other than that one time he had an attack of insecurity i was on the set and there was a debate going on about whether or not kirk should do the scene with his shirt on or off and roddenberry must have been away somewhere so john was called to the set to help decide herb solo was there also and he was the one who was engineering the discussion trying to get bill to do it without the shirt Bill still had his top on and was talking about why Kirk would or wouldn't, and he turned to John and said, what's your opinion? And John said, well, let's see you do it with the shirt on, and Bill did. Okay, now take the shirt off and let's see how it works. And Bill took the shirt off and went through the moves again, and John decided to be a smartass, and he said, let's do the audience a favor, Bill. Keep the shirt on. (laughs) Bill took it in good part and laughed. 
Oh, wow. Um, Shatner had been seen shirtless before in Corbomite Maneuver and Enemy Within, fi- filmed mm-hmm. more than a month earlier. But after two months of 13-hour workdays, less time to exercise and eating on the run, he had gained a few pounds. When posing and sucking in the gut, extra poundage can be hidden. Not so easily when doing an athletic scene. In red tights. In red tights. <laughs> After John Black left the set, Herb Solo determined that the viewing audience wanted to see the star bare-chested, even with an expanding midsection, was able to reach Roddenberry by phone. Black's decision was overruled. The shirt came off, and Shatner did the wrestling match with Charlie Evans, topless. (laughs) Well, what the audience wanted was to see him buck naked. Well, this is true. This is very true. But I can't believe that Bill would pass up an opportunity to be shirtless on camera. Well, that you know... um. That's interesting, you know, because we know mid-season, mid-season there were always weight problems for him. Mm-hmm. And so he was probably a little conscious about that. Well, That's, still. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could just, but I imagine him arguing with the director. It's like, well, I don't know that Kirk would take his shirt off to do a wrestling scene. It was like, oh, Bill, <laughs> Bill. You can just see him really trying to press his point, you know, using yes. logic to get around it and everyone rolling their eyes at him. I'm wondering what the shirt was like. Oh, I think it was, um, oh, there's a picture in here. It's just, um, he has it on maybe at the beginning of the scene or, or at the end of the scene he puts it on. It, it's I just sort of a smock so. that ties. Ooh, oh, yes, of, you're right. It, yeah, it's oh. red. Oh, yeah. It's okay. very ugly. It, it's you're right. bad. It was right. a really the right decision to have him be shirtless because that thing wasn't doing him any favors. It just looked, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Thanks for, I better go look at that hunk of hunk of burning teenage love again. Yeah. Because. Can you post that to our Facebook? Are you allowed to post that? Why not? It was on the Shatner Facebook. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> know where you. There's uh, somebody there who has all these rare photos. It's awesome. But, yes, please put it on our Facebook, and um, I might put it along with this um, episode as well so people can revel in it and see how awesome it is. Yes, I will. Okay, I will do that tonight. That will be I, um, yes, I'll definitely do that. Um, the last little thing I want to talk about briefly is I found a review of uh, a DVD of all six million seasons of the FBI mm-hmm. is out, and Bill was in an episode. I did not know this. I didn't either, but the episode title is just killing me. Antennae of Death. <laughs> uh huh. And what the person who is reviewing the DVD says is a beautiful little noir, which makes sound like a wine, mm-hmm. featuring a puffy, sweaty <laughs> William Shatner as a junkie. Who just wants a home-cooked meal now and then at kindly Betty Ackerman's rooming house. What year? Do we know what year this is? Um, Yeah, I cut that part out, but I believe it was like, I think they said it was 66, but I thought the FBI was later than that. Maybe I misread it. Oh, okay. 66, so right before Star Trek. Well, maybe we ought to go to IMDb. That's a good idea. Um, Can you go to IMDb while I read the rest of this? Yes. Okay. Astrid Warner does well as Ackerman's sexy teen tramp daughter, while the suspenseful direction is boom, 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 whatever that means. (laughs) A winner, (coughs) excuse me, with a classic FBI coda where perp and victim meet in Zimbalist Jr.'s office for one last guilty, shameful glance. Did you find anything? It is 1970. Oh, 70. It is post-Star Trek, and um, it is available um, at Daily Motion. Okay. So we will definitely be able to watch it there. So it's in color. And, of course. And um, there's Bill with a bad toupee. Oh, he just did a Shatner swallow. That was he good. He just did a what? He did a Shatner swallow. Oh, we've got to watch this. Okay, wait. I have to, I have to rewind this and watch that Shatner swallow. <laughs> Oh, wow, that was a good one. It was like oh. a cup of tea or something, and he really pursed his lips. But, well, um, he's a junkie. <laughs> he doesn't look like a junkie. He's wearing a suit. A junkie in a suit. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. All right, well, this is good. Well, we'll have to watch this and talk about it. And he's talking yes. to some lovely blonde girl while he's um, drinking his tea or coffee, doing okay. his swallow. Wow, that was good. He had some really good lip action with that swallow. Okay. Okay, <laughs> we are going to have to check that one out for a future show. Oh, that's so funny. 
So uh, that wraps up my list. Uh, well, um, I think that's about it because we're just about up at an hour. And yeah. I think um, that pretty much covers all the, the hot news that's happening right now. But I, I want to know what people got for Christmas if they got Christmas yes. gifts that were Star Trek related. Yes. Um, also, I just want to point out that my list was a little shorter than usual because most of the Bill news, like for the past whole month of December, has been his action on Twitter, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a lot. He went insane on Christmas Day. <laughs> he really did. Does this surprise you? He was. Did you see all that stuff? He was asking for people from every country in the world, and he did it in alphabetical order, to tweet <laughs> back at him and say hello. And he was doing it in groups of like... Well, however many he could fit into 140 characters, but he's like, you know, anybody out there from, you know, Antigua, from, and then he's going through all the A's, Bulgaria. He was probably doing that as a, a, a rather cruel joke on whoever his assistant is who has to type all the tweets. Oh, God. It was, it was insane. And now, now the thing that he's doing, and I don't know where he got this from, but he's announcing what tomorrow is. Like, tomorrow is National Cupcake Day. Oh, and he's been doing that for months. Well, he's Who doing it. Day? He's doing it every day now, though. Every yeah. single day. He wasn't doing it quite that regularly before. <laughs> he's insane. I, it's like, I know. <laughs> he's suddenly he's... obsessed with Twitter. I know. I, I think it's so funny. But what I was going to point out is... Um, his his usual um, professional work, you know, like um, doing appearances at conventions and um, with, with pr- uh, promoting his his prog rock album and all the other things that he you know he's doing new uh, commercials and everything else. Um, there was almost none of that this whole month, and mm-hmm. I think, well, that's cool. Bill, you know, takes month of December off to to have fun with his family. And like everyone who has just discovered the internet, <laughs> he went insane. He did. And probably spent no time with his family. <laughs> they were like, Dad, could you get off Twitter and come over here, please? Please say hi to the grandkids, kids. Dad. <laughs> and he's going over to them. He's going, now, do you kids know about Twitter? And they're rolling their eyes. <laughs> like, yes, we know about Twitter. Um, I had... A person who is not very plugged in, in my family, one of the adults, you know, like at my age, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm not saying he's not plugged in as a criticism. He's just, you know, mm-hmm. he just he does not have that kind of time, mm-hmm. and he doesn't bother with it. So he asked me because he figured I would know what twerking was. <laughs> And I explained it to him. I did not demonstrate. Okay. And he said, oh, I thought it had something to do with Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's good. Well, I'm glad you were able to explain it. Yes. Did you explain it in terms of Miley Cyrus? Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> but <sighs> anyway. All right. Um, well, thank see. you again for my beautiful, beautiful Christmas present. I'm going to go hang it up as soon as we finish. Oh, you are very welcome. And thank you so much for this salt and pepper shaker set and for the screen cleaner. Those are two incredibly <laughs> useful things. I'm so happy. This I had great. so much fun at that kiosk. Oh. It, it was awesome. You know, I spent a little bit of time Googling to see if I could find stuff on the Internet about kiosks because I wanted to put some information in the show notes last time. And I could find nothing. It's very weird that you can't find information on the internet about the Star Trek kiosk. And I'm, I'm so surprised that, and I didn't do it, so I, I probably shouldn't be that surprised, but that nobody reported this to Trek today. Yeah. I mean, I could have. Um, John Tenuto could have. Um, and if it weren't for him on the, the Shatner Facebook, I would have never known. Yeah. I think it's very strange. So I, I would like to know more about it. And, and I think it would be great if they publicized it because then people could get on board and say, yes, please bring one to our airport or our town or whatever. Our mall. That's right. That's and right. Then they could have people doing it because that's what you need, some public support. That's right. Oh, speaking of public support, I will just mention one more thing. Um, so the, the Kickstarter that Bill was doing with his weird buddies for the watches. Yes. Um, they've now come out with a line of women's watches as well. I, I saw that. So you can get women's watches with space dust. Space dust, yeah. Oh, space my. dust and the women's watches. Oh, gosh. I have to say, I don't think the women's watches are as good looking as the men's watches. Mm. They're a little too girly, you know? 
Oh, girly space watches. Yeah, That's bad. They're just not good. The men's watches at least were kind of cool and science fiction-y looking. Uh-huh. The women's watches just look like every other women's watch. They've got, you know, rhinestones on them or whatever. Oh, dear. Well. Boring. I cannot even begin to imagine what wonderful and amazing and insane things Bill is going to do in 2014. It's going to be crazy. I'm sure it'll be crazy. And hopefully we'll get to see him at a con, finally. Hopefully we'll kickstart our $5,000 and yeah. go out to lunch and Have do one. a brown bag. And Yeah. That'll be good. That'll be so good. Well, I think this is probably going to be our show that happens in early 2014. So for everybody who's listening and who has faithfully been listening to us, um, 2013 was great. 2014 is going to be even better. The show is going to continue just as strong as ever. And we've got loads of fun things planned for the next year. We do. And um, as uh, Lena said, we want to know what you got for Christmas. What were, what were your Star Trek surprises? Yeah. And, um, and again, we need ideas for how we can do this Kickstarter. Because we want to do it. We really want to do <laughs> we it. We totally want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So happy New Year, everyone. Yes. Happy Christmas. Merry New Year. Have, have a wonderful holiday season. Um, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year. Okay. <laughs> okay.